Last Sunday, we held on for a wild and a violent ride with Jehu, as the Lord used him to bring down the house of Ahab and the temple of Baal in the northern kingdom of Israel. And as Chad pointed out, Jehu actually struck down two kings on that day. He killed Joram, the king of Israel, but he also killed Joram's nephew, Ahaziah, who was the king of Judah. And we saw the fallout of this in the northern kingdom last week. Today, we're going to see what results in the southern kingdom. As we seek to do that, let me pray for our time together. God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the course of one afternoon, Jehu kills both the king of Israel and Ahaziah, the king of Judah. In 2 Kings chapter 11, we see this news finally reaches Jerusalem, and it reaches the ears of the queen mother, whose name is Athaliah. Now, this is the only, only the second time in, uh, that Athaliah's name has come up in the book of Kings. We first learned of her back in chapter 8, when her son Ahaziah began to reign. We were told his mother's name was Athaliah. She was a granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. Omri was the father of Ahab. Athaliah is thus the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Now, what is a daughter of the kings of Israel doing in the palace of the king of Judah? Well, Athaliah had been given in marriage to Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah at that time. So this was the first marriage union between the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Athaliah's son, Ahaziah, was the first king to descend both from the house of Ahab and from the house of David. But now that son is dead. Any normal mother would be devastated by this news, would enter into deep grief and mourning for her child. But look at Athaliah's reaction. 2 Kings 11, verse 1. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. Athaliah is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, who slaughtered God's prophets in order to make way for the idolatrous worship of Baal. She was raised on vegetables grown in Naboth's vineyard, the vineyard that Ahab and Jezebel killed innocent Nabal and his sons to get. This is where Athaliah has learned what it is to rule a kingdom. And so she sees the death of her son not as a tragedy, but as an opportunity. An opportunity for her to sit on the throne of Judah. All she needs to do is destroy the royal family. Wait a second. Isn't the royal family her family? If she would kill the rightful heir to the throne, Athaliah has to kill her own grandsons. And we are given no indication that she ever gave it a second of thought. Her offspring are merely a bunch of Naboths to her, nothing but troublesome obstacles in her path. What kind of mother is this? She is the opposite of what a mother is supposed to be. She is the anti-mother. Commentator Peter Lightheart says it well. She is the anti-mother who destroys rather than nurtures the royal seed. She is Israel itself. 
the cannibal mother who devours her own children. Now remember that according to Genesis, Eve was the mother of all the living, and God specifically called Eve to the work of nurturing and protecting her offspring so that she and Adam could subdue the earth and multiply in it. Remember too that this calling became part of the first gospel, the first gospel hope that God preached to Adam and Eve after their fall. God promised there to Eve that from her would come a promised seed, a son who would crush the head of the serpent, who would defeat the enemies of God and man. And then we see this calling of motherhood carried out faithfully by many of the great women of the Bible, be it Sarah or Rachel or Rebecca, be it the Hebrew midwives at the Exodus or Moses' mother, and the list goes on. The daughters of Eve will save the world by nurturing and protecting the promised seed from one generation to the next so that one day another mother can bring forth the greatest redeemer, the Christ, the true King Jesus. But with Athaliah, we see the exact opposite, don't we? She is the anti-mother. She would wipe out the promised seed line, the, the sons that come from the line of David. She would sacrifice her own children for the chance to sit on the throne. Fortunately, there are faithful daughters of Eve in the household of David. In verse 2, we meet Jehoshaphat. Her name means Yahweh is an oath, and it describes one who takes God covenant, uh, God's covenant promises to heart. Jehoshaphat is the daughter of King Joram, and she's the sister of Ahaziah, the king who was just killed. Presumably, then, Jehoshaphat is Athaliah's daughter as well, though the text doesn't explicitly say that. We find out from the book of Chronicles that Jehoshaphat happened to be married to the high priest at that time, and his name is Jehoiada. And this may explain why, unlike her mother and her ancestors, Jehoshaphat seems to be a faithful disciple of the true God, Yahweh. Verse 2 goes on to tell us that Jehoshaphat took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. Now the rest of our story focuses on this boy, Joash, and we'll get to him in a moment, but let's not gloss past the story of Jehoshaphat here. First, we're meant to contrast the actions of Jehoshaphat with those of her mother, Athaliah. While Athaliah would devour her children and stamp out the promised seed line, Jehoshaphat puts her life on the line to save the son of David. Jesus once said, Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, he cannot be my disciple. Not meaning that you ought to hate your parents in general, but if you are ever forced to choose between faithfulness to God and faithfulness to family, God must win. Jehoshaphat was faced with this choice, and she chose to disobey her mother and her queen to remain faithful to God and to God's law and to God's promises. 
Athaliah is an anti-mother. Jehoshaphat proves to be the true mother of Israel, the true daughter of Eve, and the true forerunner of Mary. And like many great women of the faith in Scripture who find themselves living under the rule of a wicked tyrant, the only weapon of resistance available to Jehoshaphat is deception. It's like Rachel fooling Isaac when he was about to contradict God's command and bless Esau instead of Jacob. It's like Tamar tricking wicked Judah when he refused to raise up the promised seed. It's like the midwives deceiving Pharaoh when he tried to kill the Hebrew boys. It's like Moses' mother and his sister Miriam who hid the baby Moses from Pharaoh's soldiers. We are to see Jehoshaphat as another in a long line of women who deceived the serpent in order to protect the promised seed. Now, speaking of the story of Moses, doesn't uh, Joash's story remind you of the story of Moses? The author goes out of his way to tell us that Jehoshaphat stole Joash away with his nurse. That detail is not necessary for the action of the story. It is there to make us recall an earlier passage which uses the word nurse repeatedly, and that's Exodus 2, 7 through 9. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The same Hebrew word used in our passage. And the similarities don't end there. In both stories, we see the life of a boy threatened by a wicked ruler. In both stories, a woman uses deception to save that boy. In both stories, that boy is raised right under the nose of the tyrant who tried to kill him. So what does all this mean? The author of Kings wants us to see Joash as a new Moses. He wants us to see Joash as a new Moses, a son of promise whom God will use to deliver his people from their oppressor. Verse 3, And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. So where does Jehoshaphat hide Joash? In the house of the Lord, in the temple. Our gospel reading was about another son who was hidden in the temple. There were many rooms built into the courtyard walls of the temple. And remember that Jehoshaphat is married to the high priest Jehoiada, so they had access to the temple. Verse 4, But in the seventh year Jehoiada sent and brought the captain of the Karaites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord. And he showed them the king's son. Seven is the number of the seventh day, the Sabbath. It is associated with rest. The faithful remnant like Jehoiada are hoping that Joash will be a new Moses who will deliver God's people from their oppressor and bring them into Sabbath rest. And so on the seventh year... He reveals the king to the soldiers. Now in verses 5 through 11, Jehoiada strategizes with the temple guards how they will reveal Joash, but also ensure that he's adequately protected because Athaliah is still around. Then verse 12, then he brought out the king's son 
and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. Unlike Athaliah, who usurps power through violence, Joash is crowned in the proper manner, as is stated in verse 14, by the high priest at the temple in the sight of the people, because he is the rightful and true king. And the people rejoice, long live the king. That's a gospel. That's a royal proclamation. It's what the gospel means. And it is this, the true king has come. He's only a seven-year-old boy, but he is the heir of the line of David. So he is God's chosen king. Of course, not everyone is happy to hear this gospel, verse 13. When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar, according to the custom, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! Now, that's a bold claim for a queen who got her crown by murdering her own family, right? She has managed to convince herself that her reign is actually legitimate. She's so deluded that when she sees the rightful king standing in the temple of the true God, she sees a traitor, a pretender, a usurper. It reminds us of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' day. Here they have God's Messiah standing before them, but they're so conceited with the power that they had slowly claimed for themselves, all they could see was a blasphemer and a threat. But now the jig is up. The true king has come, and the real pretender has been revealed. And so Athaliah is removed from the temple grounds and executed for her treason. The head of the serpent has been crushed, and the promised seed now sits on the throne at the right hand of Yahweh. That means it is time to renew the covenant. Verse 17, and Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. So here we have another way in which Joash is a type of Moses. He oversees a covenant-making ceremony just as Moses did at the foot of Mount Sinai. And there at Sinai, Yahweh committed himself to be Israel's God. And Israel committed themselves to be Yahweh's people. And the same sort of covenant is made here under Joash. And what was Israel called to do after making that covenant with Yahweh at Mount Sinai? They were to go into the promised land and cleanse it from idolatry. Look what happens in our passage, verse 18. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. The new Moses is also a new Joshua leading the people in a new conquest. Verse 19, 
And Jehoiada took the captains, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he took his seat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. The city is quiet. There's peace. Faithful Jehosheba risked her life to protect the promised son because she believed the promise. The son of David would redeem his people and bring them peace. And her hope was not in vain. The serpent is defeated and God's Messiah brings his people rest. Verse 21, Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. Now, I know we have some seven-year-olds here today, don't we? How would you like to be a king or a queen at your age? Would that be kind of fun? Would you be a good and a gracious ruler? (laughs) Or would you rule with an iron fist? Away with those yucky vegetables, cheese pizza for every meal. Would you bring peace to the land? Would you lead your people in worshiping God and obeying his commands? That's what this seven-year-old did. But he was able to do this only because he had a really good counselor there to help him. And he listened to him. Look at chapter 12, verse 2. It tells us, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days, because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. This is the way God intends things to be, not just for seven-year-olds, but for everyone. God gave Israel priests who were to to devote themselves to God's word and then teach the word to the people. And this is still the way God works today. In our churches, we ordain men like Pastor Chad and me to devote ourselves to the Word and preach the Word to you. It's also why we have Sunday school and Sunday school teachers and Bible studies and Bible night and things like that. Because everyone here, whether they're 7 or 77, is a kind of a king or queen of their own sphere of influence. The things and people that they have authority over. And you are all called to rule your dominion well, to bring the peace of God to your family, to your household, to your school or your job or your community. And so we need to be instructed in God's word in order to do that. And Joash did well while he listened to the word of God God as Jehoiada taught him. Then verse 4 begins a new section in Joash's story. If we know that Joash is being presented as a new Moses, we might be able to guess where this story is headed, right? Joash has already been saved from a murderous tyrant by a faithful and brave woman. He has already been revealed as God's chosen deliverer before his people. He has already struck down the oppressor of God's people. And he has already presided over a ceremony of covenant renewal. All these things that Moses did as well. And the next thing Moses did was build the tabernacle. What is Joash's concern in verse 4? Joash said to the priests, 
all the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, the money for which each man is assessed, and the money that a man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take, each from his donor, and let them repair the house wherever any need of repairs is discovered. Joash wants to repair and restore the house of God. Joash is a house builder, just like Moses. He's a new Moses. But this also makes us think of the king who built this temple in the first place, King Solomon. Joash is being portrayed as a new Solomon as well, and their stories are quite similar, actually. Both Joash and Solomon have a contested coronation. Someone else was trying to usurp their throne. Both their coronation ceremonies are described in similar terms at the temple by the pillar with the priests there and trumpets. Both Joash and Solomon reign for 40 years, which is a long time for kings of Israel. Both Joash and Solomon reign for 40 years. That number is, of course, significant with Moses as well. Both, of, uh, both Solomon and Joash work to build up the temple. And notice that Joash is called the king's son. Chapter 11, verses 4 and 12. This reminds us of the promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel 7, where he said, I will raise up your offspring after you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. This unique sonship where God takes the Davidic king as his own son, and the son builds a house for God. We see this fulfilled in Solomon, but we're seeing it reiterated here in Joash. Like Solomon, Joash is the boy king, the son of David, the son of God, who builds God's house and brings peace to Jerusalem. Now, verses uh, 6 through 16 tell us more about the process and the procedures that Joash implemented to ensure the temple was repaired. It wasn't easy. There was conflict with some of the priests who were mismanaging funds. But in the end, Joash is able to get the repairs made, and the people of Jerusalem give free will offerings to accomplish this. So Joash is a house builder, like Moses, like Solomon, and like the carpenter's son who is yet to come. And this zeal for the house of the Lord sets Joash apart from the other kings we've read about because we really haven't heard anything about the temple since Solomon built it. But Joash comes in with a zeal for the house. And it's something that foreshadows the hero of the book of Kings, Joash's descendant, Josiah, who we'll learn about in a few weeks. Still, like all the kings in this book, Joash is far from perfect, and he makes some huge mistakes as well. Verse 17 tells us that Hazael, the king of Syria, was planning to attack Jerusalem. Verse 18 says, Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, the kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred gifts. And all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house. And he sent these to Hazael, king of Syria. 
Then Hazael went away from Jerusalem. Now, the author of Kings doesn't really give us an evaluation of this action, but we get the sense that he thinks it was a mistake on Joash's part. Other kings of Judah relied on the Lord to save them from foreign armies. Moses taught the people of Israel to rely on the Lord to fight their battles. But here, Joash plunders the very same temple he has been restoring, and we come to find out it only delays the inevitable attack. Joash failed in other ways as well. We have to go to the book of Chronicles to find out about these. In 2 Chronicles 24, we learn that Jehoiada, that priest who had raised and counseled Joash, dies at the young age of 130. Now, sadly, after Jehoiada is gone, Joash starts to listen to bad counselors, and he actually abandons the house of the Lord that he had repaired, and he begins to worship idols. Then the son of that priest, Jehoiada, who's named Zechariah, he speaks out against this, and Joash has him killed, which is terrible in its own right, but more so when you consider that this is the son of the man who had counseled and helped Joash his whole life, and it's probable that Zechariah had grown up with Joash. They grew up in Jehoiada's house. Eventually, the Syrians do come and attack Joash, and he is defeated and wounded, and some of his own servants conspire against him and assassinate him. And Chronicles says they do this to avenge the blood of Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada. And it lays the blame for Judah's defeat on Joash's wickedness. So it's not a great end to the story of Joash. But this shouldn't be too surprising for us, because all of the kings, even the ones who did great things for God's people, they still fail, and they still fall, just like their fathers, David and Solomon. One thing we can safely say about all of them, they leave us wanting something more. Joash is not the king we're looking for, but he does prepare the way for another son of David, Jesus the Christ. Just as Athaliah sought to kill Joash in his infancy, so Herod sought to kill Jesus at his birth. Just as faithful Jehosheba and Jehoiada stole the child away from the serpent's fangs, so did faithful Mary and Joseph flee from Herod with the infant Jesus to raise him hidden in the hills of Galilee. Just as Joash was hidden in the temple, so we saw in our gospel reading, the boy Jesus was lost in the temple for a time but he was in his father's house. Just as in the fullness of time, the boy king Joash was revealed in Jerusalem and heralded with the gospel tidings, long live the king. So too was Jesus revealed in Jerusalem as the crowds chanted, Hosanna. Just as Joash was the son of David and rightful heir to the throne, so Jesus was a son of David. Yet Jesus is also David's Lord. He is the greater David, the greater Solomon, the true Son of God, not in title only, but as the only begotten Son of the Father, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, who upholds the universe by the word of His power. 
just as Joash led the people in renewing covenant and breaking down the house of Baal, so has Jesus brought us back to God and crushed the idols that lure us away from him. At the end of his life, Joash was conspired against and betrayed and killed by his servants. In his case, it was in judgment for his sin. But Jesus, the one who knew no sin, he too was conspired against and betrayed and killed by his servants. Not in penalty for his sin, but in order to pay the penalty for ours. Just as Joash was crowned and seated on the throne of David, so Jesus was raised. And he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. And just as Joash once burned with a zeal for the house of the Lord, so Jesus was consumed with zeal for his father's house, even as a boy. And like Moses, like Solomon, like Joash, Jesus devoted himself to building a temple. But unlike these others, Jesus was himself the true temple, as both God and man in him the fullness of God dwelt bodily. And he dwelt among us as the living, breathing house of God. But Jesus, the true temple, is a greater temple builder too. Because Jesus is also building a spiritual temple. A spiritual house. And he's building it with living stones. As he builds his church. Through you and through me. Through the proclamation of his gospel and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He's building his temple in us even now. Like all the kings of Israel, Joash gives us a taste, but leaves us wanting so much more, and that hunger is satisfied in the coming of the greater Joash, Jesus the Messiah. The promised seed has been delivered. He has defeated the serpent. He has been throned and now reigns over all. And we are called to welcome him, to shout, long live the king, trusting that he will live forever and reign forever as God has promised. We are called to heed his word as it is taught to us by our Jehoiadas. We are called to reveal Jesus to the world, to hold him up as the true king, revealing all tyrant kings and queens as the pretenders they are. We are called to bring others into the living temple that is Jesus. And that Jesus is building to cultivate in ourselves a zeal for the building of the house of the Lord. Christian, our call is to reveal and magnify the true king that all may know the salvation, the joy and the peace that he brings. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to be the king we needed, the king we have longed for. Though we sinned and abandoned your house, Jesus has delivered us from sin and death and brought us peace. Grant us faith to trust that it is so and strength to work for the building of his house by the words and deeds of the gospel. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.